Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Well, welcome to another conversation here with Common Ground Unity. We are thrilled to have our guest with us today. Kyle Spears is with us and Kyle is the founder and host of the Truth Trauma Theology Podcast. And I'll give you a little information as to where to find that. You'll want to listen to uh, Kyle and his guests. He has some great information. He also has a YouTube channel. Kyle is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He holds a BA in psychology, a master of science in marriage and family therapy and counseling, and a master of theology. And he's currently pursuing an MDiv from Harding Graduate School of Theology, formerly in Memphis, I believe now in Searcy. Um, Kyle is married to Christy. They live in Omaha, Nebraska. They have two precious children. Uh, so Kyle is balancing family life uh, in those wonderful years with young children and all the work and ministry and counseling that he's doing, as well as bringing good content uh, to us. Uh, by the way, before uh, speak, have Kyle speak, just want to mention where you can access his podcast and his YouTube channel. You can uh, find his website at truthtraumatheology.com. That's truthtraumatheology.com. And you can find his YouTube channel at uh, Truth Trauma Theology. So uh, Truth Trauma Theology, Kyle Spears, you can find him on YouTube. Kyle, welcome to the Common Ground Unity podcast. Um, how's everything in Omaha and how's all with your life and ministry? It is a great day here. This is one of my favorite days. I, you know, toward the end of the season in the fall, it's just like right before it gets cold. So we, it's beautiful today. I'm loving it. Um, it's an amazing blessing to be here with both of you today. Uh, one small correction. I don't have a master's of theology. I'm working on a master's of theology. And so that's just one one thing I just wanted to say very quickly. Um, but I am so grateful to be with both of you, with, with you here today, my brother. Well, thanks for that correction. Sorry for that mistake. Uh, but let, let me just say you're well-prepared and well-educated for the things that you're offering and talking <laughs> about, still, still pursuing that. So we're so glad to have you. I know this is a beautiful time of year in the Midwest fall, the crisp, cool weather, uh, just probably very refreshing right now for mm. you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Kyle. Tell us about your just your life, your spiritual journey, your, your career path, and maybe what what took you in a direction of of interest in counseling. I know you've you've worked with everything from substance abuse mm. to family trauma and children kind of returning to homes after trauma. And now you're uh, working a lot in the field of both trauma and theology. Give us just a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of how you got there in your, your life journey. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, I come from a background of being a trauma survivor. And when I think about coming from a divorced home um, and just kind of 
being in a survival posture growing up, it, I think shapes kind of how I look at the world and how I see it in terms of needing healing. And so I came from a home that um, was divided and we were in survival mode. And I think in a lot of ways, so if you if you look at kind of how you measure trauma, there's something called the adverse childhood experiences questionnaires, like 10 different symptoms of, of trauma and how it affects people. I scored a seven out of 10 mm. on my ACE questionnaire. And so my, my kidhood was hard. Um, I was blessed. God put amazing people. I had an amazing grandma. You know, everybody has a praying grandma mm, and, uh, yes. or at least did and had one of those, had two of those. And, uh, just by the grace of God, God nurtured a vision, I think for ministry in me, since I was very young, I remember my grandma told me, you know, we, you know, you're going to be a minister one day and all of this. And I remember hating her for saying that, like, I'm, I'm not going to minister. I'm going to do me. I'm going to be in business. I'm going to be successful, not be a minister. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but, but it's interesting how prophetic our grandparents and our, our parents can be sometimes they sometimes see something else we don't even see in ourselves. Um, but it was fast forward, uh, my sophomore year in high school started looking for churches um, couldn't figure out what type of church I wanted, Kevin. Uh, I want a white church. I want a black church. Do I want a diverse church? What kind of church do I want to be a part of? Long story short, my senior year in high school, I was asked to study the Bible. And about three months after that, I was baptized. And that was, so 01, that was uh, almost 22 years ago. Um, and so anyway, that's that's kind of like the the, the startup of my faith. And then after that, just kind of went and played basketball. Most people don't know this. I'm a pretty tall guy. I'm 6'10". If you see me in person, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't know you were that tall. Yeah. And uh, played <laughs> college ball and had a lot of fun with that. Um, got my master's and started doing therapy. Love doing therapy. It's been an arduous, long journey uh, in terms of how to be good at helping people heal. It's, it's a calling. Um, and then just uh, in 2020, real quick, Kevin, I... I kind of was praying one day and I felt this call to go back and, and, and go to, uh, you know, get my theological education. But I'm like, how do I marry that? How do I marry the psychology and the theology? And one day I feel like the Lord just kind of revealed to me, okay, here's, here's how. And so that's around the time I started my YouTube channel, being at Harding and all of that. It was a crazy cacophony of stress and inspiration but three years later now, I've done several, I mean, just all kinds of interviews, covered all kinds of conversations. It's been an incredible blessing and um, getting ready to write a book and all of that. So I've, I've got my hands full, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you do. And, and a busy family <laughs> life in the midst of all that. Oh, man. Oh, well, we appreciate the work you're doing and you're blessing a whole lot of people. If I can ask you, uh, Kyle, before we kind of delve deeper into this conversation uh, we talk about trauma and theology. Define trauma just a little bit for us. So, you know, how is trauma different from just kind of the hurts, bumps, and bruises of life? Because mm. it's come, come into the forefront of conversation in the life of the church much more. Mm -hmm. Trauma is something that creates a body memory, right? Trauma mm -hmm. is something that stores in our body in such a way it's an experience, right? And this is why not everything is traumatic in life. I can go through 9-11 and you can go through 9-11 and only one of us gets really damaged by 9-11, let's say. Um, and everyone remembers that day. Um, but what's interesting when you look in 
do look at the data in New York, about half of people developed ongoing symptoms while the half of survivors in New York after 9-11 were fairly resilient. And so what trauma does is it creates this survival posture and we get thrown into the choreography of our past. And there's a moment in time where we had to survive and our body stepped up and did it for us. The problem is, is when that's over, the body holds the memory. And so now when I go through life, I have certain triggers that throw me back into the choreography of surviving. And it takes a certain type of healing in order for the body to release that stored energy. So when I tell people, how do I understand trauma? Trauma starts and ends with the body. The body. It is a body memory. The body holds the story. So it's 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 what happens in our bodies. That's where trauma, that's what it's about. Boy, that's very helpful. So you're you're a professional in the field of psychology. As we mentioned earlier, you're a you're a content creator. And I was when I hear that term, um, I mean by that you you are you're putting together information and content that focuses and helps people not not only deal perhaps with trauma from from life experience or maybe even church experience, uh, but but you're also helping people to minister to others in that way. Um, mm-hmm. Are you noticing, as you've had this focus on trauma and theology, a rise in unhealthy church cultures and, and consequently a rise in trauma from unhealthy church cultures? and Or is it just something we're more aware of today and it's always been there? Talk talk to us a little bit about what you see happening and and the work you're doing in that area. Yeah, yeah, and I'll try to be somewhat organized in in answering your question here. Uh, there's a lot of directions I could go. Um, I think that that what I'm noticing is it's revealing what what has been there, and as we reveal what's there, it can is it, it sort of surfaces. It can be traumatizing. In other words, it can put people in a survival posture. You know that fight flight freeze, attach, submit. That's kind of what we do when we get freaked out and overwhelmed um, is we have these different responses. And so as people talk about sexual scandals and people who've been perpetrated on, it's not just what happens, but the sort of storm that gets generated, that can create an unsettledness within a group of people. And so uh, it is kind of the secondary trauma that I'm seeing as I'm helping people. So um, it, it can be both. And, and I humbly just say, and I want to be careful, we have to be careful of the lenses that we use to look at life, right? I, I work with it so much. Kevin, I have to be careful that I've got balance points in my life so that I don't just look at everything through the lens of trauma, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I've got good people around me that kind of help counterbalance some of that. But I think that what I'm seeing, uh, Kevin, is that people are struggling with the heirlooms of their past, whether it's the harshness within relationships, you know, relationships is a contact sport, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, they've experienced some harshness. I think other people maybe have had their dignity stripped down. And that's an experience, again, of, of, of being dehumanized. As, a, as I'm working with people and churches are starting to come forward 
and really trust me with their story, I, I do notice that there, there are these heirlooms of the past that are unreconciled, unmetabolized. We're talking about stress that's never been really um, sort of released. I think the other thing is, is that I'm noticing is, is people are coming forward with their experiences that people have the experience of being measured versus being supported. <laughs> and so that has given people injuries where they were judged um, and they didn't experience safety. And so one thing I'm learning, Kevin, is that I've assumed that people feel safe in their church, that people feel safe with their ecosystem that they've got. The reality is, is that you don't really know what people are thinking until they feel safe. And so that's probably the biggest thing I have found is it's hard to really get people sometimes to be honest because they're so worried about being judged because they don't know if they're going to be supported, right? Mm. <laughs> They've been measured yes. instead of supported. Um, and so I think that that has created a lot of this sort of freeze posture. You know, there's from the minister level, from the congregational level, you're getting a lot of different responses. I think that when I, when I look at what, if I had to sort of bring it into a, a central thought, I think a lot of churches right now are converting, going from a, a transactional culture to a transformational culture. And I think that's what I'm noticing is that's really hurt people and really kept people in a trauma posture is that they've been in a system that really hasn't allowed them to transform, right? There's a lot of external measures for how they're doing or whatever. And so a lot of people I think have been stuck um, because it hasn't been safe to transform, right? It hasn't been a grace culture. It hasn't been a culture that helps them to feel safe and Anyway, let me just pause right there before I keep going on. If you wanted to ask another question or have me keep going, D define that term. You just you, you've used some phrases that I think are very helpful. I, I'm going to listen back to this podcast myself uh, because you've got a great way with words. You're moving from a transactional to a transformative culture, define that transactional culture just a bit. Absolutely, and that change because I think you said something powerful there that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel with that, Kevin. Uh, you know, I would say Scott McKnight to me has the best pulse. And mm -hmm. so in his chapter three of his latest book, Pivot, what he really gets into in terms of transformation is we're talking about a deep work of the Holy Spirit in terms of our character. Mm -hmm. And so now cultures are having to figure out, are we going to try to keep the show going on? Or are we going to actually help people change at a character level mm -hmm. that that type, I mean, that's like going from fossil fuels to electric. That's, I mean, that's going from fossil fuels to solar panels. <laughs> and so that's a big adjustment, I think for a lot of yeah. people and it's yes. disorienting. And I think a lot of people feel de-skilled. And, and it's a whole different ministry context, isn't it? Oh yeah. 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 And so, so, so if I were to say, what I think and, and what I'm interested in helping the, the people that I'm trying to equip is we have to change our relationship with certainty. I think that many of us listening right now, and I say this humbly, Kevin, that we've probably, a lot of churches have pursued certainty at the expense of maturity, 
right? We take this need for certainty and then that gets weaponized, right? We have this need for certainty that gets weaponized. And we and it and I want predictable too. I mean, part of what we're working against is predictable. I when I go to church, I want to know what comes next. Are we doing mm-hmm. communion first or are we doing the welcome first? Okay. Right. When's contribution come? Are we going to use the little communion cups or are we going to use the little take-home ones? I want predictability. Okay. Yes. Uh, the church does have a lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we want our own way. I think what we're kind of right now at is, is we're realizing uh, what church is for. Church is not about a way. It's about uh, an environment where we can be transformed. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. You had a conversation with John uh, Teal, our producer, and, and you discussed the importance of church cultures, institutions, uh, leadership groups, uh, letting the right things live, I think mm. is the quote, and the wrong things die. Can you unpack some of your thoughts uh, about that particular statement? Yeah, Kevin, I um, maybe, I don't know if it was in the last year and a half, I had a, a moment where I, I began to think about this concept of memorial and whether it's working with trauma, whether it's working in the church in a ministry context, I started realizing that we see memorial everywhere but in the church. 9-11, I brought that up earlier. There's memorial mm-hmm. for that. World War I and II. Um, you look around and we see memorial everywhere. And I think I'll, I'll, uh, it's interesting because the most painful experiences in our lives never seem to get a headstone. Hmm. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like, well, wait a minute, the church should be the place where people can, if there's anywhere where we can find memorial, it should be in the church. And so what does memorial represent? Well, memorial represents something that died and something that lived. Memorial represents... Um, the good and the bad. It represents connection and loss. And what I started noticing, Kevin, is that people are deeply burdened and they are not able to offload their grief. They are not able to engage in lament. Hmm. And so I started realizing, well, what if people could actually experience memorial? And what Memorial does, it's kind of interesting. So let me, let me start with what sin and trauma does. So sin and trauma, because of sin and trauma, we have things that should live, but instead receive death, right? And then we have things that unfortunately should die, but are allowed to live. So in other words, the wrong things live and the wrong things die. And that's the result of sin and trauma. Memorial specifically, and I'm fast forwarding here, the memorial of the cross reverses the effects of sin and trauma so that the right things live and the right things die. When I look at, and this goes back to our first question, mm-hmm. part of what I think many churches are struggling with is what should live and what should die. The good news is, is that the church actually does have a reference point for what memorial should be, and it is the cross. So the question then becomes is what does the cross bring to life and what does the cross bring to death? Does that make sense, Kevin? I hope mm-hmm. I'm not losing. Absolutely. Here. No, that's powerful. <laughs> okay, that just making powerful. sure. Yeah. So 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 things that should live should live and things that should die die. 
And the cross is what we rely on to bring the right things to life and put the wrong things into the right, the wrong, the right things mm-hmm. to life and the right things to death. If that makes sense, we can pause yes. this for a moment if you'd like. Oh, that's, that's good. Um, it's common for tension to exist. Uh, each time church cultures transition from one generation to the next, mm. as you kind of look at, the landscape of things is, is something bigger happening in our current struggle to kind of pass that baton? Um, and what should we learn from patterns or ineffective practices? How, how can we improve our track record? So to say, because that, that baton often fumbles and falls and, and there's a uh, rifts and division is it kind of generations move from one to the next and new practices. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel on this one either. I've got a book called Oregon Trail Theology by Eric Atchison. This is phenomenal. And what he talks about in this book is how you have the pioneers and the settlers always warring. You've got the pioneers who always want to go uh, west, and you've got the settlers who kind of want to just embrace the season and the moment. And so the church is torn between the pioneers and the settlers. And so he says here, as it speaks to the next generation, I actually want to read this if this is okay, because the way he puts it, I think, is better than I could. He says, how does the church move forward post-acknowledgement of those sins? And he's talking about kind of those generational postures of rigidity and so forth. Millennials have already moved on, either with or without the church. Many millennials who have left are too hurt to come back on anything but their own terms. If they come back at all, and many of them have grown tired on, on, of waiting on the church to stop catering to an overly idealized vision of the 1950s that never existed. The expectation that millennials be props in the church's pursuit of its glory days, like a kid whose stage parent tries to live vicariously through them, adds to the harm that such a one-sided relationship engenders. The desire to return to a falsely idyllic era tends to manifest itself in, as an implicit bargaining process. If only we do this or that, we will be rewarded <clears throat> with the church of our past. That sort of bargaining may be fine when it comes to replenishing a wagon party stock of spare axles and wheels, but not when it comes to replenishing the church's stock of trust and goodwill with its young people. Lastly here, Instead of looking backwards, so to answer your question, I like what he says here, the church can join the millennial generation in striding forward. Yes, the future is uncertain, and it may even look bleak to many congregations. Yes, the hopes and fears piled up over all the years can be awfully strong paralytic, but I have learned that engaging the future instead of running from it is an act of courage and a necessary vulnerability. I love the way he puts this. And so one of the things I was thinking, Kevin, is what are we inviting the next generation into? And I think what he gets to is that, you know, I think the next generation has this sense that they're maybe used as props. You know, some generations, it depends on the congregation and stream, but some builder cultures were given this generational mandate that they were going to do what the rest of, let's say, a stream or the rest of evangelicalism was too weak, uncommitted, lazy to do. 
that they were going to recreate the early century church, whatever it is. And, and they weren't just going to do it. They're going to do better than anyone else. So there is a, a competition sort of thing there. And then there's this looking down on other people. Is that the ethos that we are inviting the next generation into? Um, I was talking to a guy by, by the name of Al Baird. Many of you guys have heard of him. And he said that there are over 30, I think 30 or 32 different streams within the Stone Campbell movement. <laughs> yeah. And I thought to myself, I'm like, what are we inviting them into? How confusing would that be? <laughs> and I think yes. that those types of old guard alliances, can I just be honest? My generation, we don't really want anything to do with that. Like, I, 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 the next generation doesn't care about the lawn that your church, you know, wanted to not have any, you know, like it, it just, they don't care. And so I just sometimes wonder, and I actually want to ask you, um, you know, I just wonder sometimes what we are inviting the next generation into. Are we inviting them into reconciliation or are we inviting them into a deep seated resentment? <laughs> you know what I mean? I just don't yeah. know. So that sometimes I just kind of wonder, I, I don't know. I'd love your thoughts on that. Well, it, it calls into question. You, you mentioned 32 streams that Albert uh, describes. We, we talk about the streams of the restoration movement. Well, it's actually streams and many tributaries, you know, many, hmm. many offshoots. And, and if you just look at the uh, Christian churches, the churches of Christ alone, um, it is, you know, as I look across the County where I live um, within a short distance I could probably call to mind three or four congregations that all wear the same name, but have no real interaction or fellowship with one another because we, we made our vision restoring the perfect church, being the ones who get it right, getting the pattern mm. precise. And this generation is interested in a relationship and a walk with God mm. and impacting the world with uh, the, the good news of the gospel, not arguing over every piece of minutia to try to get the pattern right that has holds no interest and to be honest i've been in ministry for i've been in churches of christ all my life and a ministry for almost a 40 and most of my ministry i've had zero interest in some of these issues that so preoccupy our energy and our attention so if we could capture a new vision of what restoration is if if that word is a good term to use of just restoring the life of jesus in our churches and restoring the mission, uh, I think it'll look very different than how we've defined the term. Um, and, and I think that, I think this coming generation could get animated and excited about that. Well, one thing, Kevin, and, and I would be interested too in what your thoughts are. And first of all, it's nice to be asked questions. Usually I'm on the one at, I'm, I'm always asking other people <laughs> questions and all this. This is a really beautiful sort of exchange. Um, what I was going to ask is, is and this is kind of a thought that I have is there are things that need to be retaught as I'm going through this pivot uh, book and I'm taking our, our Patreon community through pivot. One of the things I'm realizing is that <clears throat> number one, people signed up for things and they feel committed to what they signed up for, even if it's wrong. So what we're seeing is that there are these needs for reteaching, even when it comes to kingdom. I would mm -hmm. say that kingdom, the church, right? That conflation of the two even, like there is deep uh, confusion over even grace. 
I'm doing a Holy Spirit series coming up. I would say that there's been a real underteaching of the Holy Spirit even. Mm, amen. And so it's not just that people like even reteaching evangelism, like all these, 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 you know, take it for granted. We just assume that people have an understanding. The truth is, is that many of our streams, we taught things, wasn't really questioned. Now people are going back to school or they're deconstructing and they're like, Hey, wait a minute. You, you, I thought, I thought there was something more substantial theologically behind this teaching. This looks unexamined to me. This seems like a house of cards. And, and so now this need for reteaching, and I would say, and I know this sounds threatening, almost wholesale. <laughs> and that's why I'm, yes. I guess I'm so grateful for Common Grounds, because you guys, to me, represent kind of that reteaching that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you've heard it said, but I say to you, that's why I love when Jesus comes on the mm -hmm. scene, because he reteaches things that have mm -hmm. been taught incorrectly for many, many years. And so I just kind of am interested in your thought about the whole reteaching or the need for reteaching and where you guys may be fit into that. Well, you know, you take this concept of the kingdom. Um, we spent a lot of time in my earlier years trying to give correct definitions to terms so that people would understand the term correctly and apply it correctly. So much of the teaching that I heard about the kingdom growing up was, you know, the kingdom is not yet off in the future in some millennial age. Hmm. The kingdom is the church. So we'd construct hmm. these arguments to show, and I think rightly so biblically, that the people of God around the world are the kingdom, and that's the church. Right. But we didn't, um, in trying to get that correct, we didn't do much teaching to help people understand what it means to have Christ ruling and reigning in our life and what it looks like yeah. to be a community of people truly living under the love and lordship of Jesus and how that spills out into the community and that kingdom spreading and advancing in a way where people see a community of people that love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, mm. meet one another's needs. So we had the terms. We want to get those terms correctly, but the substance of it, we didn't seem to emphasize the living out, the implications mm. of that well. So there's there's a lot of conversation. We you know you you take getting a correct view of baptism, and mm -hmm. and seeing you know all the passages that you can put together to see that baptisms for the remission of sin it places you into Christ. You're buried and raised with Him. It's the point of union with Jesus. All the correct points. But what does it really mean to live a life where you have put to death, or Christ has put to death your old life and given you a new, and made you into a new creation, right. a whole new person. So we often have the, the words, the form of godliness, but, but maybe we've often denied the power. And you know, this is where the lack of emphasis on you're not just having a proper view of the Holy Spirit, but what the Holy Spirit does to animate and give life to people that were Amen. dead. So if I think we're tracking together in the same way. We that are. We, it's not as if we got all the definitions wrong. Man, we need to teach the substance and the life of this mm. and what it means and instead of making these points of argument with people. Right. To, to be right. Well, so. Even this last Sunday, briefly, I taught um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I actually used Michael Burns' chapter 2 and 3 as an outline 
for my premise that the way we look at Matthew 28 is actually deeply out of context. So typically when we read, make disciples of all nations, we take out the all nations part. And what ends up happening when we do that is when we don't read it in context, we're missing the bigger point, which is God's mission that we've been invited into, that all nations are gathered into one family. That is what Matthew mm. 28, 18 through 20 is calling for. And it's it's been literally since the Old Testament. You look in, in Babel, and then you look in Israel and how segregated it was and so forth. And so then God is going to put all of that back together. And we see that in the book of Acts. God delivers on his promises to create a new society. What's interesting is that all you have to do is take the term event, like make disciples out of its context and now you create this imperative that Paul doesn't create. Paul doesn't create this imper imperative to just baptize, 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 grow, grow, grow. He's concerned, number one, with the type of disciples we're making, right? That's, that's number mm -hmm. one. But number yes. two, the real call is to gather all nations into one family. That is what the Great Commission is truly about. If I think about part of why we're so divided is because I actually don't think we understand Matthew 28, 18 through 22, because if we did, we would be more focused on gathering all nations into one family versus trying to cater to a consumerism within the Christianity. Mm. And that's what Scott McKnight is really pointing at. It's, it's, we, we're, we're dealing with the consumer culture versus looking for people who are looking for family. That's mm. the gospel. <laughs> I don't and, mean and to preach, but I, I, anyway. No, that's some good preaching. I'm amen in you, brother. That that is good stuff. <laughs> and and you know, in this point of Ephesians, I mean, when Paul gets at the heart of the gospel and the reconciling work of Jesus, it is mm. making out of the two one new man through the Holy Spirit yes. that this that this uh, temple of God uh, is comprised of Jew and Gentile, yeah. and they're not just brought into a family where they learn to tolerate one another. Uh, they're being forged now in, into a new family. And this unity yes. that he describes in Ephesians 4 mm -hmm. is the making of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit of God in the world right. to do what man could never do through treaties and alliances and, and you know, coming to terms to end war. It, it's, it's all done through the cross and through Christ and the Spirit's work. Mm. So, man, good, good stuff. <laughs> good. We good could man. pursue that for some time. That, that, that could be a whole nother conversation, reteaching. Um, sometimes you don't need to abandon everything that you've been taught. You just need to understand it in all of its richer context and properly. Mm. So love that. Love that, Kyle. Hey, you, you talked about Scott McKnight. And you had him on your podcast recently to talk about his new book, Pivot. We recently had um, Scott McKnight on our podcast as well. And for those listening, uh, we talked about his book, A Church Called Tove. Pivot was about to be released. It's now been released. And uh, Scott, as you mentioned, or Scott, Kyle, as you mentioned, uh, you interviewed Scott and you've been working with that book, Pivot. Both of those books have to do with developing a Tove or goodness church culture. Uh, talk a little bit about what you've, you've learned in that regard and some of your key takeaways. And uh, what is it that you're finding will contribute to healthy church cultures? 
Well, first of all, I feel overmatched. Um, and I say this humbly, Kevin. I I guess I didn't realize how how much of a work transformation is and and and, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who can actually deliver on that. And mm-hmm. this this so we're reading pivot in our community. And we're in chapter three, and we can barely chew that. It's that deep. I mean, when you when you think about transformation, so he talks about shift, change, and transformation. Mm-hmm. And and oh, by the way, you guys' interview was killer. You guys had Laura. I wasn't able uh, to to have Laura in my interview. <laughs> I'm I, I just I would have loved to have her. By the way, um, it is great to has- hear them talking together. Yep. Oh, you guys are so privileged <laughs> to have that. I just I, I'm a bit envious. Um, I don't know how John Teal pulled that off, but boy, he. <laughs> it's John Teal. Come on. <laughs> now he's the magic no. <laughs> man right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the uh, shift, change, and transformation. So, what happens? I didn't realize this. A lot of cultures experience a shift. Okay. That is just moving the chairs around in the sanctuary. Okay. That's that's not really changing the order of service, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. Change is more uncomfortable. Change is where we start changing the order of service, so to speak. And now all of a sudden we got people, you know, pulling the minister aside and wait, wait, wait a minute. Communion comes after contribution. No, 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 no. It com- and then there's transformation, which is a a a, a, tr- a change in character. And how people even think about the cross, um, Mm -hmm. how people think about themselves, their preferences. Like we start to really check our preferences. We check our resentment. We begin to realize that we have nurtured resentment. We've nurtured the wrong things at times. And so we get rigid. And so I think that what I'm realizing, and he does this so well, Kevin, he gets at the heart of why cultures and institutions are so challenged by transformation. Like it's hard work. I think Mm -hmm. that's what I feel overmatched by. Transformation is legit a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a new creation assignment. Mm -hmm. And I've I'm a 40 year old man and I and I even look at I look at Moses and I look at several people in scripture who were 40 and all of this and 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 by the time now I'm 40, I'm just realizing I don't really understand a lot of things. There's a backstory to the backstory mm-hmm. and it takes time. It takes about a year to get a year's experience. And so <laughs> from reading his <laughs> book and we're only at chapter three, really slowing down and asking yourself questions about how power works in your church. That's a very triggering concept. And it's triggering to ministers and members alike, but we have to get really honest. He has action steps. Everything is action guided with how to take your community through really looking at how Tove or how much goodness does it really have. So I guess what I'm realizing so far, Kevin, is just it is it is humbling. And the thing I guess I didn't realize is, man, this I signed up for a marathon. You, 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 this isn't about the next year. This is about the next decade. Mm. And that I think really calls us to maturity, right? That I'm going to take yep. the long view on my community. 
And I think sometimes because of how reactive and angry and all of that that people have been, I mean, we live in a in a in an outrage culture. It's this now. We got to get it. We got to get it now. Let's get Kyle in for a workshop now. Let's get him in this weekend so we can say we got him in and and we'll get our little what? No, you will experience a shift, but you will not experience a transformation. That's the work of the spirit over an extended period of time. I hope that hope that hope that makes sense. Oh, that's I think that's extremely important because we if we're playing a short game, we're not in God's game. God God is mm. working in us and it's it's the long game and and we're the people of instant results. We want to see uh, fruit. Uh, we we would love to see a, an orange tree producing uh, after it was you know, just planted 3 months ago. It should have, you know, full <laughs> fruit coming. And and that's just a a false idea. God, right. God takes time to, to, to bring fruit. And it's the same way. Sometimes we're, we're working against or trying to transform. Well, there's part of the problem we're trying to transform, but it, it is the work of the spirit. And we need to let the spirit take his time to do his work. Mm. But, but we're working against cultures that have taken years and even generations to develop. Those aren't going to change overnight and we're foolish to think they are. So I love to hear you talking about, uh, Patience. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. Forbearance with one another. And if our churches that are unhealthy are going to get healthier, it's going to take ministry people that are in it for the long game. And they're going to plant themselves in places and be a part of that transformation. Uh, We in ministry can get frustrated and uproot too quickly when we don't see things happening the way we want to see them happen. And uh, Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about diversity. Mm. Because I'll get talking here, and you're our guest. How, how important <sighs> is diversity in forming uh, healthy church cultures? Um, y- you know, we think in terms. We've talked a little bit about generational, but gender, racial, cultural, and even theological diversity. Why, why is it that you think it's so important to have diverse voices at the table? Because that's the mission. The mission isn't to crank and and blow it up and get my church and my segment of the city, quote unquote, killing it. That's not the mission. The mission is to gather the nations into one family. So one of the things that you look at in terms of an early 2000 growth, church growth theory is you have the homogeneous uh, unit principle. That's when churches in the early 2000s decided, okay, we need to grow. So here's how we're going to do that. We're going to do little demographic cutouts and we're going to cater to or really respond to this culture within the city. What they found is, is that their churches grew like crazy because when you when you cater to people and, and you cater to their, their preferences um, and Sunday is very competitive, right? Then people will come to your church because you have the coffee shop or you have this amazing technological ministry that just makes everybody feel like, okay, this, this, they are next. The problem with that is that that does not create a diverse or a multifaceted culture within a church. And based off of what we understand about the mission, I mean, I think about this, Paul writes over 2000 uh, verses in the New Testament. Over 2,000, 630, let's just say, I think it's 637, but let's say over 630 of those verses are aimed at helping 
his church become multicultural. And this idea of how to help people who are representative of all nations be gathered into one family. That's where Paul spends his time. And so I think about that for a moment and I'm like, okay, the point actually isn't just to grow. And I get it. We want to feel successful. I want to feel successful. I like it when there's more subscribers. I like it when people are coming on Patreon. But I've also had to realize the point isn't growth, it's transformation. And transformation, once you can really dial in on that, then growth that comes from that is more sustainable and it's healthier, to your point about the whole tree and the soil and all of that. So it diversity itself, okay, isn't the goal for a lot of people. A lot of churches, diversity isn't the goal. Now, here's what diversity brings, if, if you allow it. It allows... It allows for maturity to take place. Um, if you're really going to embrace diversity, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. There's no other, there's nothing else that can hold people together when they have so many differences other than God's Spirit. Nothing. I mean, when I look in Jesus, Jesus' detail, he had a tax collector and a zealot. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, that's... That's, that's, that's like, okay, but only he can make that work. And so I want to be a part of a community that makes that work, a tax collector mm -hmm. and a zealot. And I think that that creates a marvel. Think about whatever community can get that to work. People are like, how'd you pull that off? How'd you mm -hmm. get a Republican and a Democrat to worship together? And they're in the, they're both in the same small group. No, come on. Get out of here with that. So that's, to me, representative of maturity, and it's representative of the mission. Hopefully mm. that somewhat answers the question. Oh, yeah. I was in a, a small group of young adults leading it a couple of Thursday nights ago, and this the, the complexion of this group is we're in, we're in a community where there are a lot of Latinos, and then, you know, your, your English-speaking Caucasian kids that you know, they're growing up, they look like I did when I was growing up. And, and here they've got this love amongst themselves, this, there's just a strength to the relationship there. And I, I made the observation, we're, we're, we were in the parables and, you know, the dragnet pulls up fish of every kind. Hmm. And uh, there's no other place they'll go on earth where such disparate people who would probably be segregated into their groups drawn along lines of socioeconomic status, athletic interest, uh, other interests, racial lines, where, where they'd all just get together and love one another so deeply, regardless of their differences on the outside, right. then the church, that's, that's church. Mm. And that's the, what a powerful testimony to the, uh, to the world around us that God would bring people together who would never get together at Starbucks otherwise as friends and more than friends as brothers and sisters than than what the work that Christ has done and the spirit binding them together. So what you're saying makes perfect sense. And I, I love that you're calling us to that and to a, a grander view of what the kingdom is. Mm. It, it, it's, it, you know, I, I think of the Olympics, you know, every year you see all those people flooding into the arena with their different mm. flags. And yet they come in and form this one big uh, congregation of people, multitude mm -hmm. of people from every nation and now there, you know, there's that big Olympic flag. Well, you know, that unity doesn't last long, but this is kind mm. of the Isaiah vision, isn't it? Of all right. the nations flowing to, 
Zion. And so you've painted a, a beautiful vision for us, Kyle, and, and I think are capturing the heart of that kingdom vision of scripture. Um, love that. Talk to us about pathways to healing, both personally and as a church culture for people that are listening and they've, they've experienced maybe trauma themselves from church life or congregations that have been wounded. We, we don't want to see those folks lost to the kingdom. We want to see them heal, and we want to see churches be able to help people do that well. So what are some of the pathways uh, to healing that you could encourage? Yeah, and this is where I come back to Memorial, Kevin, that churches are in need of Memorial now probably almost more than ever. They don't have a way to look at what should live and what should die. Because in the midst of trying to have that conversation, we're in the middle of having all these other political conversations, all these other conversations that really make it hard for people to be regulated and understanding. People are very reactive. And outrage has become recreationalized. I was listening to a podcast of two guys, and they were talking about how uh, outrage has very much become a drug almost. It's, it's, mm. And so there's, it's really hard to find a place that isn't going to engage in some sort of food fight. And you would hope that the church is one of those places that could sort of be that, but it's, it's been hard. And so going back to Memorial, I believe that what churches need is a way to grieve. I do a presentation on Memorial, which is based, the, the framework of Memorial is based off of uh, Lamentations. And so when you look throughout Lamentations, um, Jeremiah really kind of breaks down this communal lament. Um, and this is kind of one of the things I think we're going to cover in just a moment. But how do you help a group of people really collectively mourn? And what Memorial does, it allows for that. But what it also does, it allows them to maintain their identity and be connected to what was good. See, what I see is this, Kevin. I see a lot of communities going on some sort of pendulum tour where, to your point earlier, how do we keep the good, right? Mm -hmm. How do we keep what worked and, and what was healthy? What unhealthy deconstruction is doing and it's creating even more of a reactivity it is making people feel like we have to get rid of the good okay that's not what memorial calls for memorial doesn't have us eradicate the, the good the healthy we honor it and so now the right things live and through memorial the right things die and i think that when we ask ourselves what does the cross put to death and what does it bring to life as a community, now we're not paralyzed by the individualism that has paralyzed the church, right? Many communities are very much catered to an, you know, an individualism. And I think that in order collectively to kind of look at, okay, how do we lament together? We have to have some agreements. One is, is that we're not going to reshame we're not going we're, we're not going to shame people as we do that. One of the things I think a lot of churches are just so terrified of is if we pop the lid on this pain, we're going to have people come out swinging. Mm -hmm. There's going to be people who want to do a witch hunt. 
There's going to be people who are going to take my name to social media. They're going to be on some podcast or YouTube channel, and I'm going to get flogged for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And in my ability to earn an income, if you're in the ministry or if you're a member and, and feeling like your, ch- your church is just some sort of reenactment of your family system that you're trying to get away from. And people don't want drama. But part of what people have to understand is the healing process is going to involve some drama. What Memorial does is it structures it. And again, if we go through the book of Lamentations, that's part of the model I don't have time to get into today. But people need a way to grieve, man. People are just stuck. They're hurting. I think of your generation, I'll just say this. Your generation invested so much. You guys paid a price. You guys, you gave your lives so that many of our churches could, you know, meet and have all of these things that they had, you guys pay to do. That came at a cost. Mm-hmm. And what I'm noticing is many people in the builder generation, they are having many, and you know, there's a lot of awakenings going on. Wait a minute, I paid this and I paid that and I'm, and my kids didn't even make it. And we reached the mm-hmm. world, but we didn't even reach our own home. And so that is something I'm finding is really hard for a lot of people, because it's not just we need to grieve as a church. There's a lot of people who've, I mean, many of our churches who've walked away and they are hurt. So -hmm. how do we bring them into the equation? That's a whole nother conversation. But Memorial doesn't just include the people in your church. Memorial at some point has to reach out and be a blessing to the people that it has hurt. (laughs) Right. Mm-hmm. That's triggering, but it has to accomplish that because you can't build a solid foundation if it's not built on reconciliation. So a lot of churches, I think, are struggling with what is their reconciliation posture. It's very important that I think churches start thinking about that as well. Kyle, I think you've got the making of a book there on memorial. That 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 theme, that whole idea. That's real. That's new to me, um, and the way you've expressed that, um, I'd love to see you flesh that out more, and and put that in practical ch- terms for churches. It would help them along a path to healing that takes that and puts it at the center. And and there's this sense in which it, you take us back to the cross with that, and how the Lord's Supper could be such a greater transformative experience every week if we knew all the implications of what happened there at the cross mm. and what what lives and what's died and should be put to death. Well, um, well, I thank you for this. It's gone too fast, this conversation. And uh, I'd love to have you back, maybe even to flesh that idea out more. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Our time has just gone so quickly and it's, it's, it's running out, but is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I'd like to say, I'd like to have a little fun with you in a minute, but go ahead and (laughs) on a serious note. No, I'm just grateful for those who decide to keep going. Um, I I understand those listening. There are many people who are very hurt. Hmm. And sometimes when we get really hurt, it's hard to see straight. And my, I just want to say my heart goes out to those who were deeply hurt. And then there are those who maybe didn't get hurt as much and who just feel de-skilled. And I just want to say to those of you who feel de-skilled and maybe you just don't know, there's people who are tired of lament. They are tired of, of, of looking at the past or whatever. Um, I just want to encourage them to hang in there as well. 
That's good encouragement. Well, I appreciate the work you're doing. I'm going to mention your for our listeners places where they can access your work again. I mentioned them at the start of the podcast, but I'll repeat them in a moment. Before that, will you have a little fun and uh, and do Please. a lightning round with me? All right. Please. Um, I like our listeners. Now, when they go to listen to your podcast, they'll uh, they'll know a little bit more about you from ours. Um, That's right. What's your? Here we go. What is your favorite music genre? Oh, this is funny. Um, I listen to a lot of instrumental music that is more techno-ish or house or like electronic would probably be the best way to put it. I listen to a lot of electronic music. <laughs> right, right. A little like Rufus DeSoul type stuff. Uh, I think that's a name, you know. Yeah, okay, maybe not. I won't, I won't tie you to a band. And I don't know enough about them. I just kind of that electric genre. That's one of the groups I've heard. If you could delete one word from the English language, what would it be? Sentimentalism. Why sentimentalism? Uh, I, I see I see that just get used a lot of times when people, their hearts get hard and they get hurt. Um, and then they kind of have this sort of tough exterior. And now it's like, well, you know, people are just being sentimental. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to humanity. Yeah, there we go. Your, I think I may know the answer to this. Your favorite sport to watch or play? Oh well, you know, basketball. We'll just go with that. I mean, it's all yeah, right. We'll go with basketball. I wouldn't say under underwater basket weaving, but uh, if you're listening, <laughs> anyway, there, there, I, there's probably a cable channel for that. Um, <laughs> given a choice, would you climb a mountain or jump from an airplane? Climb a mountain. All right. I'm not getting out of a perfectly good, I mean, working airplane. I'm yeah. just not, unless it's on the ground. So I like the way you think. I'm the same way. Uh, when you vacation, uh, beach or mountains? Beach. All right. I'm a warm weather beach guy. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm telling you, I, we got a lot in common, brother. I'm, we do. Other than Jesus, of course, the obvious answer for all of us, who inspires you? Hands down, Joseph. Mm, boy. He's my favorite character in the Bible. I preach from him. Joseph's my guy. Oh, that's great. One subject you'd like to learn more about? Ooh, something off the grid, man. My headspace gets really heavy sometimes. Um, I would love to learn more about, let's say, um, uh, I would love to learn more about, like, we're, we're building a home. And so how to do stuff around the house mm. for myself. I'm kind of that way too. I'm, I'm, I'm getting towards those years where, you know, I'll retire one day. I'd like to be able to do some <laughs> things with my hands yeah. Um, yeah. And, and do some things around the house there. Would you willingly do karaoke? Unwilling, but paid. Yes, I would pay. I mean, someone paid me. That would yes, be- I would take pay to do karaoke. <laughs> I actually sing in, in, in the choir and stuff. I'm a bass, so it just gets kind of like, oh, it's really high. Yeah. Gotcha. What is uh, What are a few, or or what is your favorite all-time movie, or a couple of your favorite all-time? Oh, yeah, easy. Twister and Contact. So I'm a sci-fi nerd. Like, I'm, I mean, Lord of the Rings, obviously, and all that, but like, Twister and Contact, they're like two female lead, uh, whatever, in like the science, whatever genre, but that they, they just, that is like in my personality profile, both of those lead actors just sort of yeah 
uh, pioneering. Yeah. One last question here. Are you a bar coming from Kansas city? You are definitely a, a barbecue guy. I know you're in Omaha now. What's your, uh, what's the best barbecue you've ever eaten? I've got it. I've got to go with my grandfather. So my grandfather it was a very successful barbecue restaurateur in Kansas City. Um, in fact, he's he's in Kansas City history. His name uh, was Hayward Spears, and he had a restaurant called Hayward's Pit Barbecue. So wow, that is um, yeah, yeah. Hayward's Hayward, like it's 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 my joint. Now like that is awesome. You grew up yeah. eating some good barbecue. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And no, no question that Kansas City barbecue is your, uh, your, your favorite. Oh, Not yeah. that South Carolina oh. stuff or Texas stuff. Well, uh, they got some good stuff. Don't get me wrong, but uh, no, Kansas absolutely, City. I get it. But you, when it comes to barbecue, it's what you were brought up with that you get that hankering for. And if you had an uncle that owned a restaurant, is anybody in the family kind of carried that on, or did the? Uh, no, when my grandfather passed away, so he, he passed away last year. But when he, by the time he had passed away, he had already sold it to someone outside of the family. And so maybe at some point, those of us in the family, we may buy some of the rights back or whatever. But yeah, uh, yeah it's in good hands. So do you do, do some pretty good barbecue yourself? So this is a crazy thing. I grew up in the barbecue business, and I'm now just learning how to like – kill it on the grill like <laughs> yeah kind of crazy to think about yeah oh, you got plenty of time uh, Kyle it has just been a real pleasure to to get to know you and to get to visit with you on this podcast I thank you for joining us today and I want to encourage our listeners uh, to be blessed uh, by Kyle's work so again I want to remind you of his website that he's going to be updating down the road here sometime but it's a good website it is truth traumatheology.com yes, and there are resources there uh his podcast can be found there there's a menu button uh for for his podcast and he has a just a many tremendous uh interviews and guests where he's asking the questions um so i'm glad that he could answer some today so go to, to mm. truth traumatheology.com visit his web or his a youtube channel truth trauma theology uh, Kyle Spears on YouTube. Um, we want to encourage you to be back with us. We're in a series on healthy churches. We're so glad you've joined us for this conversation. May God bless you in the next couple of weeks, and we will be back with another conversation uh, on the Friday, two weeks from today. And if you're listening to this on another day, it may already be there. So uh, thank you for listening. And before we get away, I want to remind our listeners, we have a vision to create and support gatherings of unity-minded Christians around the globe. Imagine the good news of these gatherings, modeling the prayer of Jesus in our divided world. If you're not a part of a gathering in your area, we encourage you to get one started, and we at Common Grounds Unity can help you to bring that gathering to fruition. There are gatherings literally around the world and that's our goal. Also, if you're benefiting from this ministry, please consider a monthly donation. Go to www.commongroundunity.org front slash donate. And if you can give a monthly gift or a one-time gift, you would bless us to keep this ministry moving forward. Look forward to being with you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. 
And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.